Welcome to Liberation Station. I'm your host, Chris Steiner. Here in the studio, we have guests Paul and Steve Buttemeyer, who are patriots forced into learning a little bit about the IRS due to their encounters. And Paul th- and Paul and Steve, thanks for joining us on Liberation Station. How are you doing? Hey, Paul. <laughs> hey, Steve. You're here to impress us with all your knowledge on a book that you've been reviewing um, and you've been applying called Cracking the Code. And we'll get into that in just a little bit here. Uh, We'll be talking about what are the laws, what are the actual statutes, codes, and regulations that the IRS uh, claims to follow, and and when do they follow them, and um, when you try to get them to follow them, how do they respond? So we'll be talking about that. First, I wanted to talk about on uh, June 4th, Barack Obama speaking in Cairo, Egypt. Uh, he he gave his his most uh, obvious, most conspicuous uh, exhibition as a globalist uh, by when he he said in Cairo, Egypt, June fourth, two thousand nine, quote, "Our interdependence, any world order that elevates one nation or group of people over another, will inevitably fail." End quote. Now, why would he give that term, given our interdependence, any world order that elevates one nation or group of people over another will inevitably fail? Well, that term interdependence you can find throughout uh, the Trilateral Commission's uh, writings, the Council on Foreign Relations, Zbigniew Brzezinski, um, who's a co-founder of the Trilateral Commission, um, the, the writings of David Rockefeller, and, uh, and uh, to quote from the very first goal of the Trilateral Commission, and this is right off of the Trilateral Commission's website, at its first meeting held in Tokyo in October 1973, the Trilateral Commission's Executive Committee issued a declaration outlining the organization's rationale and aims, a declaration which remains relevant today. Number one, growing interdependence is a fact of life of the contemporary world. It transcends and influences national systems. It requires new and more intensive forms of international cooperation to realize its benefits and to counteract economic and political nationalism. That is the number one goal of the Trilateral Commission. Growing interdependence is a fact of life of the contemporary world. That's the first sentence. And the last sentence says that uh, they are trying to counteract economic and political nationalism, sovereignty, or home rule. And what would be uh, the substitute for that? Well, that would be a new world order. Now, why would you think uh, that Obama would would, uh, quote from a trilateral commission, which, as I mentioned, Zbigniew Brzezinski, or herefore after called Ziggy B, who co-founded, well, so why did Ziggy B uh, co-found the Trilateral Commission with David Rockefeller to undermine national sovereignty? And uh, even in David Rockefeller's uh, memoirs, he admits that he's part of a secret cabal working to destroy the United States and create a new world order. This is what David Rockefeller wrote in his memoirs. For more than a century, pardon me, for more than a century, ideological extremists at either end of the political spectrum have seized upon well-publicized incidents to attack the Rockefeller family for the inordinate influence they claim we wield over American political and economic institutions. 
Some even believe we're part of a secret cabal working against the best interests of the United States, characterized, characterizing my family and me as quote-unquote internationalists, and of conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global political and economic structure, one world, if you will. If that's the charge, I stand guilty and I am proud of it. That's a quote from David Rockefeller, one of the co-founders of the Trilateral Commission, who Obama is uh, apparently taking his policy from. Well, let's, let's see who else is Obama related to who would use terms like um, interdependence. And uh, people like that would be Richard N. Haas. Uh, let me pull up some of the information here. I, I failed to do before the show here. Richard N. Haas uh, writes in um, his Club of Rome documents, that uh, that we're going to have to use uh, the uh, fake uh, ecological and terrorist uh, threats as a reason for a, a one-world government. And I apologize, my computer is going a little slowly here, so we'll get into uh, Richard and, and Haas in, in just a moment. Um, but uh, if we could uh, queue up, uh, I have a, a queue from YouTube of uh, Richard and, um, pardon me, of uh, Barack Obama and Dick Cheney talking about their uh, membership in the CFR. And first we'll hear uh, from a, a, Barack, a clip, a, um, a compilation of clips uh, of a Barack Obama being asked during the campaign about his membership in the Council on Foreign Relations. And shoot that clip if you have it, please. Well, apparently the internet buffers. That's uh, going a little slow, but uh, I can't see the screen. Is it coming along? I do not share his views with respect to Israel. Uh, I have said so clearly and unequivocally. Um, and that's Zbigniew Brzezinski, to whom he's referring. To, to Dr. Brzezinski, uh, I can't say enough about uh, his contribution to our country. Uh, he is one of our most outstanding scholars, uh, one of our most outstanding thinkers. Uh, he has proven to be an outstanding friend uh, and somebody who I've learned an immense amount from. Uh, and for him to support me in this campaign and then uh, be willing to come out uh, here to Iowa is a testimony to his generosity. So if everybody could please give Dr. Brzezinski another round of applause. Uh, he has proven to be an outstanding friend uh, and somebody who I've learned an immense amount from. Uh, he has proven to be an outstanding friend uh, and somebody who I've learned an immense amount from. You could say that again. <laughs> but this is important because we're getting to the nub of your relations with him and what it says about his character and his steadfastness. Because he, did des he described you as, as I said, this outstanding friend, this immense authority that he had referred to. And yet later, after you'd received a lot of flack from the pro-Israel lobby because of a stance you'd taken on a book which criticized the pro-Israel lobby, Barack Obama was asked about his relationship with you and he said, we have emailed three times or so. He said, I had lunch with him. 
Well, and yet this is a man that had described you and, as an outstanding and we, and we, friend. And we travel together and we talk and we have been in touch more than that since then. So he's but, not telling the truth? No, he did tell the truth as of then, because that was early on, that was in September. We met in the summer. Uh, so, well, to, to be fair, so to be uh, the New York specific, Times quoted him as saying that he had emailed you two or three times that he'd had lunch with you in yeah. February of 2008. In February 2008? That's right. Barack Obama was asked about his relationship with you, and he said, we have emailed three times or so. He said, I had lunch with him. He did tell the truth as of then, because that was early on. That was in September. We met in the summer. Well, to, to be fair, so to be uh, the New York specific. Times quoted him as saying that he had emailed you two or three times that he'd had lunch with you in yeah. February of 2008. In February 2008? That's right. And is that the end of the clip so far? Or is that the, is it still buffering? It's winding mm -hmm. up. There's text here that uh, should have been read, actually, in the, in the yeah. silent spaces. But yeah, yeah, yeah. What um, I wanted to regard in regards to Zbigniew Brzezinski, that's, uh, is that what it's in regards to, what his, his denial of knowing Barack Obama? Yeah, and, and that's during the uh, campaign that um, he, they were trying to distance themselves from each other after um, or Obama dropped Brzezinski from his campaign as a foreign, um, foreign relations advisor. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the fact is, why are they, why, uh, why Zbigniew Brzezinski would try to distance himself from Obama when Brzezinski isn't running for any office? Well, Brzezinski proudly writes and, uh, in, in his book, uh, Between Two Ages and the Grand Chessboard and other writings and inter interviews he's given, that, uh, he helped create not only the Mujahideen, which became Al-Qaeda, which, uh, in Arabic, by the way, it's a term which uh, loosely translates to the base or the toilet. But as uh, Ziggy B has written, he created it as a database of U.S. assets in the Middle East. So uh, would any self-respecting terrorist organization really want to be confused with a commode? Or is it more likely a big joke being played on us all? And uh, he's also admitted to helping set up um, awful dictators like Paul Pot and Khmer Rouge, in Cambodia, who committed many massacres, um, as did you know, the Mujahideen or these uh, al-Qaeda terrorists uh, are awful also. Well, Brzezinski proudly admits to helping fund them um, as a way to uh, draw the, the Russians in and fight in Afghanistan and get them to waste their resources there. That was his rationale. But he portrays himself, Brzezinski Zigibi, as a anti-communist, and yet he supports communist uh, bloody dictators like Khmer Rouge and Pol Pot. So whenever he makes a statement on a certain um, subject, I, I can never be sure what his true stance is um, because he's so proud out of um, his contradictory uh, stances. And, um, and Obama, getting back to his interdependence uh, and his support of NAFTA, and, and uh, it came out, and this is in the um, Obama deception, 
Oh, and while I'm at it, I think I want to find out what you have to say about this. I, I should give out the phone numbers here in Pinellas. You can reach us at 441-3000. I'd like to know what you think about this information. Have you heard it, or uh, does it shock you, or uh, is it something that fits, um, helps you connect the dots a little bit? You can reach us toll-free at 1-866-826-1340, and the all-tell-free call is star 1340. The website is Liberation Station. Dot Weebly.com. Weebly is spelled W-E-E-B as in ball, L-Y. That's liberationstation.weebly.com. And uh, you can read a lot of the stories we're talking about on uh, the website or linked to. Um, so uh, getting back now to um, Obama's membership in the Council on Foreign Relations. His face is on uh, the, his whole bio is on the uh, Council on Foreign Relations website. And again, Council on Foreign Relations, throughout their writings, they use the term uh, interdependent. Now, Obama has, uh, since he was elected, he selected uh, the president of the Council on Foreign Relations, Richard N. Haas, as his uh, foreign affairs advisor, as one of his uh, foreign affairs advisors. Richard N. Haas, well, he wrote in 1991, and uh, this has been uh, published on the CFR's website, a, uh, a document uh, entitled First Global Revolution. And what he writes in the Club of Rome in 1991, which is on the CFR's webpage, uh, he says, in searching for a new enemy to unite us, we came up with the idea that pollution the threat of global warming, water shortages, famine, and the like would fit the bill. All these aims are caused by human intervention. The real enemy, then, is humanity itself. <clears throat> and state sovereignty must be altered in a globalized era. A system of world government must be created and sovereignty eliminated in order to fight global warming as well as terrorism. Moreover, states must be prepared to cede some sovereignty to world bodies if the international system is to function. And that's a quote from Richard N. Haas, now president of the Council on Foreign Relations. He wrote this in Club of Rome, 1991. And he is now Barack Obama's foreign affairs advisor. Oh, and by the way, he was Mike Huckabee, Republican's uh, foreign affairs advisor during the camp presidential campaign. According to uh, a clip uh, on CNN where he was speaking to Wolf Blitzer, so it's interesting how the Republicans and the Democrats get their foreign policy advice from the same anti-sovereignty, um, oh gosh, uh, scumbags. And uh, Richard N. Haas is certainly one of them. Uh, well, president of the Council on Foreign Relations, he must wield an awful lot of influence. Who in the past administration, though, was a former president of the Council on Foreign Relations? Uh, and uh, do you have that clip ready to go with uh, Dick Cheney uh, mentioning um, his membership in the CFR? Okay, go ahead. A special televised meeting of the New York-based Council on Foreign Relations provides a window to the real story. The speaker, Vice President Dick Cheney, takes a question from David Rockefeller. Vice President, uh, I just enjoyed so much your whole speech, but I was particularly pleased that you gave such a strong endorsement for the free trade agreement for all the Americas, subject that has been of great concern to me for many years, and particularly recently, and I think it's absolutely essential for the strength of our economy. 
Rockefeller's role in the drive for an FTAA was a lot more central than he portrays. Rockefeller cultivated Latin American leaders who could be counted on to support such a proposal. Both the 1994 Miami summit and the FTAA proposal were conceived and nurtured by a Rockefeller-created network. Prominent among the organizations sponsoring the Miami event were the Council of the Americas, founder and honorary chairman, David Rockefeller, the Americas Society, chairman, David Rockefeller, the Forum of the Americas, founder, David Rockefeller, the Institute for International Economics, financial backer and board member, David Rockefeller, the Trilateral Commission, founder and honorary chairman, David Rockefeller. Rockefeller's influence also extends to the current administration. He was chairman emeritus of the CFR when Vice President Dick Cheney once served as a director, a relationship that Cheney concealed during his congressional career. It's good to be back at the Council on Foreign Relations. As uh, Pete mentioned, I've been a member for a long time and was actually a director for some period of time. I never mentioned that when I was campaigning for re-election back home in Wyoming. <laughs> Well, there you have Dick Cheney admitting to having been a president and concealing it from his constituents at the time he was running for senator in Wyoming. Um, well, that's that's just astonishing, I think. Uh, now, this uh, this tyrannical uh, world order depends on an enforced interdependence to prevent local rule. And that same interdependence that, that David Rockefeller wrote about in his memoirs and uh, can also be found at the Rockefeller's Brothers Fund website, rbf.org. And this is on the homepage. It says, quote, this is the first publication of the RBF-funded Global Interdependence Initiative, which seeks to improve Americans' understanding of global interdependence and to strengthen public and political support for cooperative international engagement, end quote. Now, when you read all of the, I'm not going to go into all of the different writings uh, by Brzezinski and by David Rockefeller or the Rockefellers or, or by um, Henry Kissinger, the Council on Foreign Relations or the Trilateral Commission, but if you do a search for the term interdependence with any of these names, you'll find what they believe, and that is that uh, they believe that if we set up a, uh, a world government where we have block governments, uh, the American Union or the um, European Union, Asian Union, African Union, Arab Union, and uh, each one of those is assigned to a certain industry, such as um, manufacturer in the case of the Asian Union or customer service in the case of of the uh, of, of us uh, here in the North American Union, soon to be perhaps the American Union if they get their way, which uh, we're going to stop. But uh, those are their plans, and uh, if they're, if each union has its own specialization, then it'll be less likely to go to war with another one, or and uh, home rule will be less likely to spring up, and local systems will be less likely to succeed if, uh, say, a block or an area engaged in uh, manufacture tries to declare its independence. Well, it has no one else in the world to sell to except its own sovereign governments, and uh, these sovereign systems will have already been destroyed um, according to the Council on Foreign Relations' own plans and uh, the Trilateral Commission's own plans going back almost 30 years. Now, members of the, uh, the anti-sovereignty organization, the Council on Foreign Relations, include Barack Obama and Dick Cheney, as we just learned, uh, former CFR president, 
who is now criticizing Obama to give him political cover from the right, which he needs almost as much as cover from the left, but he needs them nonetheless. And um, when Obama was asked about his uh, CFR membership and uh, North America union membership during the presidential campaign, I'm sorry, I didn't send you this clip. I'm going to have to do that uh, right away here. Um, it's very interesting, his response. And um, I, did you get that? Okay, I'll take your time and I'll set this up. Uh, let me get back to my notes here. But um, yeah, he, he was asked, or Obama was asked during the campaign about his membership in the Council on Foreign Relations. And um, I'll explain it if you're ready to cue, to play that. All right. Senator, uh, first of all, thank you for uh, honoring the wishes of the people and not taking lobbyist money. It's been reported that um, you and your wife are in the globalist CFR, which is the Council on Foreign Relations. Um, and um, I'd like to know if that is true. And also, um, I'd like to know where you stand on the North American Union, which has been um, confirmed recently in the press. Um, Ron Paul actually spoke about it in Congress. He's actually spent some money on it. The North American Union involves a union much like the European Union, only with Canada, Mexico, and the United States, and the possible merging of uh, the money system into uh, a piece called the Amero, um, which would actually strip the United States of some of its sovereignty and perhaps our rights. Where do you stand on that? Well, first of all, uh, I'm, I'm not uh, the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, I don't know if I'm an official member. I've, I've spoken there before. Uh, it basically is just a forum where a bunch of people talk about foreign policy. Uh, and so there's nothing. There's no official membership. I don't have a card. Or, you know, <laughs> the, in terms of this North America union, uh, this has been uh, something I know Ron Paul's talked about and people have been talking about. I have to say, with all due respect, that I see no evidence of this actually taking place. I think this has been something that has been ginned up in certain blogs on the internet. It was based partly on the fact that there's this highway being built uh, in Texas that will facilitate more transportation and travel between Mexico uh, and the intercontinental United States on up through Canada. And so people have perceived that this potentially means that somehow there's going to be this uh, union like the European Union. There's no evidence that that's taking place. Um, break down barriers of trade between those three countries. And I was opposed to that because I thought that it didn't have a way to get to my But I don't think that there's some conspiracy to create uh, this one you know, continental government between Canada and Mexico. I, I see no evidence of that. All right? Okay. Well, it sounds like he created a great deal of consensus there. Um, he, <laughs> well, actually, he did when everybody laughed, but uh, they didn't know what they were laughing at. The joke is really on them. Well, 
he says that he sees no evidence, and then he says there is no evidence, and then he says, okay, all right, at the end. They're trying to get us to agree uh, that um, his opinion, is, is, um, his beliefs are, are accurate. Well, we know that he was lying through his teeth because what came out in the Obama deception and uh, in the bibliography can be found online at the Obama deception, pardon me, it's at obamadeception.net. The bibliography for the documentary, The Obama Deception, is at obamadeception.net, and you can see the uh, reference to the uh, leaked internal campaign memo from the Obama campaign where he was telling his campaign financiers and funders that just disregard all this talk I'm saying about reforming NAFTA, which, by the way, is uh, from where the North American Union sprouts, and uh, just uh, don't worry that I'm, I'm not going to renegotiate NAFTA. You're not going to have to worry about your you know, multinational companies, worry about your profits. Oh, and the other part in that clip that the, the man um, who asked the questions appreciated the fact that he didn't accept any lobbyist money. Well, Obama had, uh, made the campaign promise that he would accept no lobbyists in his campaign or in his White House. And that is exactly uh, the opposite of what he did. So um, that appreciation should uh, be duly withdrawn. Um, so now uh, this uh, North American Union that Obama is, is involved in forming, um, you can find much more research on the link site or the link section of my website. There's uh, probably about 15 websites on the North American Union Security and Prosperity Agreement, Free Trade Area of the Americas, Trans-Texas Corridor, NAFTA Superhighway. It's all, and they're even changing. Um, I forgot what the new name is for it, but uh, they say, well, the North American Union uh, is uh, there's no chance for it now because it's so unpopular. Well, they just uh, reintroduce it under a different name, but it's still part of the um, part of NAFTA, the NAFTA Treaty that uh, the president is allowed to go and proceed on and meet with members of um, leaders of foreign countries and uh, counterparts in their cabinets, meet with our cabinet members and harmonize all of the laws uh, within this North American Union. So um, when Obama was asked about his, his CFR membership and the North American Union during his presidential campaign, we hear with his placating lies delivered in sarcastic fashion, he evoked ignorantly supportive laughter. Cheney, when addressing the Council on Foreign Relations after an election, with his blunt honesty admitting to keeping his Council on Foreign Relations membership and uh, presidency uh, a secret from his home state Wyoming constituents, he aroused advisedly sinister laughter from fellow CFR predators. Uh, Obama was not uh, in attendance as far as I know, but uh, I'm sure he would have laughed being a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. Oh, and uh, his wife is the uh, chair lady uh, of the Chicago Council on Foreign Relations. And uh, so he ought to know whether they, there are cards that they, they offer that they issue to their members. He should know if he's a member or not. Yes, Steve. <laughs> yes, Steve. If his wife's a member, I think he should know. Well, right, but, you know, that's why he, he lies about it. and He, he, ought to, he also ought to know because... Uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski had a hand in its foundation also. He's, he's all surrounded by uh, CFR trilateral Bilderbergers. And uh, other CFR members even include Joe Biden and John McCain, uh, Richard N. Huss, uh, the current CFR president I mentioned, uh, who was uh, Mike Huckabee's foreign policy advisor. But um, 
what you, when you read Richard and Haas's writings, all it is is anti-sovereignty, anti-national currency um, rhetoric, explaining how to sell it under the pretext of uh, anti-terrorism and environmentalism. So that's uh, according to their own writings that they don't think you're going to read. But if you go to the CFR.org website, you can read all about it. What do you think about what I've uh, covered so far? Uh, the local Pinellas call-in line is 727-441-3000, toll-free. You can reach us at 866-826-1340. That's 866-10-1340. The all-tell free call is star 1340. Now, does this upset you? Doesn't it make you a little bit uh, irritated that um, that these these creeps are out in the open, just uh, shiftly, uh, you know, sneakily um, operating whenever they're asked a question they they can't answer directly? And uh, and I can tell you, it's it's been great therapy just to tell you about it. I just want to know what you all think about. Uh, I'd like to give you let you in on a little bit of the therapy before we move on to the next uh, subject or two. Uh, I'd like to also mention um, that H.R. 1207, the bill to audit, uh, independently audit the Federal Reserve, is now up to 212 co-sponsors. We need only eight more co-sponsors, eight more representatives to say that they will sponsor it and the the bill will pass regardless of the president's opinion. So um, what Ron Paul says, who introduced the bill and has... uh, Gosh, he, he's, he's set brush fires in the minds of men, to paraphrase Sam Adams, by getting them all to sign on board and explaining how it's a transparency in government bill because the privately held Federal Reserve, the, the Federal Reserve, which is a private banking cartel that has stock that is held privately, that uh, we contract with to uh, print the money rather than um, the Congress coining it. They've delegated all that power away to the private Federal Reserve in the same way they've uh, delegated their war-making authority to the president, and the president allows uh, military contractors and, and is allowed to permit no-bid contracts still. Um, but uh, H.R. 1207 is well on its way, and uh, we have only eight more to go. And, uh, and Ron Paul also mentions that he believes once the Federal Reserve is audited, that it will be exposed that they've been rigging the stock market and rigging the gold markets. Uh, as you can see, YouTube videos of Ron Paul uh, questioning Ben Bernanke, the Federal Reserve chairman, about this, uh, the manipulation of the gold markets. And um, Ben Bernanke does actually admit that, yes, it's something the Federal Reserve looks at. So he thinks that once it's exposed, they've been uh, manipulating the stock market and the gold markets, that uh, that'll be their downfall. We can fire the fraudulent financiers of this fake debt and get out of the, the enslavement. I actually believe that the uh, Fox Business News had a uh, had an article or an interview with a guy talking about how once this thing is audited, it's going to go down because this <laughs> it's like these banks that have these really bad assets on board. They're going to uh, they're going to lose everything and. So that he actually thinks the Federal Reserve is going to uh, drop all of their uh, legitimacy. Right, and uh, and he has a, another bill that um, is, hasn't caught on as well. Have you heard about it? H.R. Um, 833 to abolish the Fed? That's the one he's been putting up every year, right? <laughs> yeah, but this time it's actually catching yeah. on a little bit. <laughs> right, and that's the, he, supposed to... He follow- put the soft one in first, the, the right. 1207. Yeah. You have the leader and the follower. 
Yeah, so he know he has his priorities, and he's he's helped a lot of people catch on. So um, I'm, we have a lot of uh, a debt of gratitude to to him for all the progress that's been made in in getting rid of these um, monopoly men. Um, and there's another video. Let's see if we can. Um, did you uh, get my message there? Uh, if you're able to pull that up on HR 1207. Uh, but uh, if anyone wants to follow the status of um, Ron Paul and HR 1207, HR 833, or, or any of Ron Paul's activities, you can check out uh, campaignforliberty.com. The website's www.campaignforliberty.com and dailypaul.com. And uh, were you able to uh, get, a, get a hold of that video? Is that the one in your email, Bernanke is worried? Right there, right at the very yeah, top on our latest news. All right. A call-a-thon is underway to urge Congress to support H.R. 1207, which is the bill to audit the Federal Reserve. We only need 27 more in order to have a majority on this, and as of a few minutes ago, we just had our second call-a-thon targeted representative crossover and co-sponsor the bill. I'm keeping an updated list of calls on targets at BreakTheMatrix.com, so check in often for updates and add your non-compliant reps to the list. Now, if you don't know why it's so important to audit the Federal Reserve, consider this. The Fed is a private institution that is in charge of our entire money supply. Just in the past year, they've printed or guaranteed over $2 trillion, and they answer to no one. The government has absolutely no oversight of their activities, nor are they allowed to see what the Fed has been doing with our money. This issue affects every American, and more and more of us are realizing there's something going on behind the closed doors of the Fed that they don't want the American people to know about. In fact, the surging support for H.R. 1207 has the Fed worried. So worried, in fact, that they've just hired veteran lobbyist Linda Robertson to lead a PR campaign to try to stop H.R. 1207. Now there's much more to the story, so please check my notes for more info on the Fed and why H.R. 1207 is so critical, as well as links for you to contact your reps. And thank you for all the calls, tweets, blog posts, etc. supporting our little call-a-thon. It's working, so keep it up. Until next time, I'm Shelly Roach. Thanks for watching. Well, thanks, Shelly, and she put that video out on YouTube a couple days ago, and as I said, it's up to 212 co-sponsors. Uh, now, the, what she mentioned was that the Federal Reserve hi hired a, a PR wizard to fight against H.R. 1207. That's an article uh, by Kurt Nimmo on InfoWars right now, linked on my site, uh, liberationstation.weebly.com. Weebly is W-E-E-B-L-Y.com. And uh, as H.R. 1207 gains momentum and co-sponsors in the House of Representatives, the Federal Reserve is planning to fight the tide calling for an audit of its books by hiring a veteran lobbyist to, quote, manage its relations with Congress, end quote, according to Reuters News Service. The Fed plans to hire Linda Robertson, who previously worked for now-defunct energy company Enron, as well as the Clinton administration. She is currently head of government, community, and public relations at the Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore. Robertson, quote, spent eight years in senior positions at the Treasury Department working for three secretaries, Lloyd Benson, Robert Rubin, and Lawrence Summers. End quote. A bio posted on the Johns Hopkins University website states, uh, Robert Rubin, as Secretary of the Treasury, recommended that Congress pass legislation to reform or repeal the Glass-Steagall Act of 1933, 
while Lawrence Summers, in the same capacity, organized the looting of Russia, stripping $1 trillion from Russia's struggling economy in the name of the bankers. And he's referring to the oligarchs um, whose money reverts every time Putin catches them, uh, reverts back to the, uh, the Rothschilds family, strangely enough, uh, who were also involved in the founding of the Federal Reserve. Um, and continuing the article, quote, members of Congress have chafed at the Fed's bold use of its emergency powers and, in particular, its multi-billion dollar bailouts of investment bank Bear Stearns and insurer American International Group, end quote. Reuters continues, quote, uh, critics also bristle at the Fed's practice of maintaining the confidentiality of the companies that borrow directly from the central bank on the grounds that divulging their names would risk runs on those institutions, end quote. Well, that ties into back in November, Bloomberg News sued the Federal Reserve under Freedom of Information, asking, what have you done with the $8 trillion that you've been issuing as uh, Treasury bills to, well, who have you been issuing it to, and, and how much have you been, what have you been doing with the money all this time? Well, it's not really money, but we'll just call it that for the sake of argument. And uh, they come back two months later, the judge agrees with the Federal Reserve's argument that it's a trade secret. Well, why would it be a trade secret unless they're a private corporation? Because they're a private corporation. Okay, so they're telling us, and uh, there was, um, oh gosh, I don't remember whether he's a representative or a senator. I think he's um Yes, Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont uh, was told by the Federal Reserve that, no, we're not going to tell you either when he, was at, when he asked directly Ben Bernanke. Uh, one such critic, continuing with this article, one such critic is Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont. In March, Sanders put it squarely to Fed boss Bernanke when he said, quote, My question to you is, when will you tell the American people to whom you lent $2.2 trillion of their dollars? End quote. And now, by the way, it's up to over $11 trillion, according to Bloomberg News. Now, Bernanke, of course, refused to divulge a single name and instead said the loans in question are quote-unquote, over-collateralized, and thus come with a heavy stigma for the unknown borrowers. So uh, Sanders has put his weight behind a similar bill, Senate Bill S-604, the Federal Reserve Sunshine Act of 2009. It was referred to the Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs March 16, 2009. As reported by Bloomberg, the Fed has entered into trillions of dollars in off-balance sheet transactions since last September. Sounds like mob bosses to me. They always keep two sets of books. More specifically, uh, continuing the article, more specifically, the Fed extended $9 trillion in credit, which is $30,000 for every single man, woman, and child in this country. Early last month, Elizabeth Coleman, Inspector General for the Federal Reserve, told Alan, Representative Alan Grayson of the United States House Committee on Financial Services that she does quote, not have jurisdiction to directly go out and audit Reserve Bank activity specifically, end quote. And um, there's a video for that coming up. Uh, but a quote from it is, we're getting instructions from on high saying, don't dwell on the past, Grayson was told, before a hearing scheduled to investigate the Fannie and Freddie swindle. And uh, I think this is the place for that video if you're ready to air that. This spring, Washington, D.C. is buzzing with news of a legislative effort that could potentially alter the landscape of the American economy. Congressman Ron Paul has introduced a new bill to the House of Representatives entitled H.R. 1207, also known as the Federal Reserve Transparency Act. We sat down with Matthew Hawes, 
the vice president of programs at Campaign for Liberty, to discuss the purpose and implications of Dr. Paul's bill. This, we believe, is a historic piece of legislation because what this bill will do is it will allow for a complete and thorough audit of the Federal Reserve System. The Federal Reserve System was created in 1913. It's got control over the nation's flow of money and credit, and it's never truly been accountable to Congress. So it releases details of its meetings on its own timetable. Even then, those details that it releases are edited. It comes before Congress. It doesn't have to fully answer the questions that the congressman put to him. So Congressman Paul's bill, this Transparency Act, will remove any current restrictions on audits of the Federal Reserve, which there are quite a few current restrictions, remove any of these restrictions, and for the first time, allow Congress to take a full and complete look at the Federal Reserve's books. Paul Martin Foss, who is Congressman Ron Paul's legislative assistant for monetary policy and financial services, gave a comprehensive briefing regarding the specifics of the bill. Um, the crucial issue, uh, the one which uh, H.R. 1207 addresses with regard to uh, Federal Reserve Transparency, requires us to take a look at uh, 31 U.S.C. 714, which is the section of U.S. Code uh, that establishes that the Federal Reserve may be audited by the General Accounting Office, but which establishes severe restrictions on just what GAO may in fact audit. Those are transactions for or with a foreign central bank, government of a foreign country, or non-private international financing organization deliberations, decisions, or actions on monetary policy matters, including discount window operations, reserves of member banks, securities credit, interest on deposits, and open market operations, transactions made under the direction of the Federal Open Market Committee, or a part of a discussion or communication among or between members of the Board of Governors and officers employees of the Federal Reserve System related to clauses one to three of this subsection. So those are the areas that GAO may not include uh, by law in its audit. So as we see, these four clauses basically encompass just about everything the Fed does in the realm of monetary policy, open market operations, and quantitative easing. Essentially, the only thing that GAO can audit are uh, some of the check processing, currency, storage, and shipments, uh, and some of the regulatory and bank examination functions. Uh, the most important matters which directly affect the strength of the dollar and the health of the financial system are immune from oversight. At the end of the day, we don't get any important details on exactly what they're doing. Sure, we know how much money they may have on hands. We know how much they've spent you know, in retirement funding this year for their employees. But we don't know exactly what's going on with their decisions on monetary policy. And recently, Fed Chairman Ben Bernanke was pulled up in front of the Senate. And Senator Bernie Sanders confronted him on the whole issue of which institutions have been getting taxpayer dollars. Like, you've doled out trillions in taxpayer money. Which institutions have been given this money? And Bernanke was able to say no to that question. He wasn't going to specifically name these people. And then he went on to give a reason that we mentioned earlier. He went on to say that, well, if we say which groups are getting this money, a lot of them will be scared to come and get the money anymore. And it'll put this whole thing at risk. Well, there's a couple problems with that. For one thing, businesses should be cautious about coming to get taxpayer money. So they won't be coming and saying, give us billions and billions and billions of dollars so readily. They'll think about it a little bit more. And secondly, you know, Bernanke and Geithner and all these people are saying that we're doing all this to bring stability to the economy. Meanwhile, we're not going to fully tell the American people which groups are in trouble. And so you've got people continuing to invest their money, continuing to save with these groups that may be on the shakiest financial ground of any other company. But they don't know about it because Bernanke won't say anything. So instead, it would bring true stability 
to the system. If he comes out right now and says, well, these groups are the ones in trouble, these groups are the ones receiving loans, leave it up to the American taxpayer. That should be their choice whether or not they're going to continue to invest with these companies. If they look at the books and they see which ones are truly in trouble, but you know there's a chance that things could come out okay for them, then let them continue to invest if they choose. If not, let them pull their money out and invest with a company that's stronger. And that'll get us out of this crisis a whole lot sooner. But instead, Bernanke's saying, no, we're not going to tell you, and we're just going to wait until this gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So if those loans that the Federal Reserve is giving out don't actually do anything, then these companies are going to be a lot further down the road, have a lot more taxpayer money, have a lot more people invested in them when they ultimately do collapse. And it's just going to make things that much worse. Instead of dealing with it now, letting people know where they stand, and getting it over with. Um, we have no idea where this money is coming from. Uh, a lot of it may be created out of thin air. Uh, we don't know where it's going. Uh, there's also another disturbing trend, which is the close cooperation between the Treasury and Fed with no oversight. So it essentially allows the Treasury to funnel money to Wall Street companies, uh, potentially politically favored firms, with no public, public oversight or scrutiny. But I, I have heard at, uh, at staff briefings where people have questioned um, you know, how, what exactly are the limits of the Fed's ability to uh, pump money into the system. And the Fed folks have just flat out said, well, there really is no limit because we can create endless amounts of money on paper. Um, you know, the Fed just opens up a, an account on a computer, $100 billion, transfers $50 billion to Wells Fargo, $20 billion to Wachovia, $30 billion to Deutsche Bank, and that money is out there, and those banks are, you know, they can essentially use it as, as though it were actual money. Um, unfortunately, we're hearing too from the Obama administration, just as we did uh, from the Bush administration, uh, renewed calls for the Federal Reserve to take an even more direct and substantive role as the guarantor of financial market stability, at the same time as the Fed's operations grow ever larger and more opaque. Um, a lot of opponents of Fed transparency will claim that uh, any attempt to oversee the Fed will endanger its independence, uh, but really the Fed is not independent. It does the bidding of its masters, the government and the banks, uh, devalues the dollar, which enables the government to issue debt to fund its imperialistic adventures abroad and fund welfare state aims here at home. Um, and the bankers love the system because they get to use this newly created money and credit and they get all the benefit of it. All the consumers further on down the line who uh, only get to use the money later on are faced with rising prices. You know, Congress makes a big deal out of having to approve 700-some billion dollars, which is a big deal. But meanwhile, the Federal Reserve, completely on its own, off to the side, is doing out trillions of dollars that Congress isn't voting on. So we've got trillions and trillions of dollars flowing out. We've got the American taxpayer on the hook for it. And yet the Federal Reserve doesn't have to tell Congress how it's spending this money, who it's giving it to. The Federal Reserve doesn't even have to tell Congress what deals it's making with foreign central banks and governments. We know that Chairman Bernanke often travels to Europe uh, to meet with his foreign counterparts. Um, and we only hear about these meetings by accident. Uh, earlier this year, there was a hearing uh, at the very beginning of the, of the session of Congress, uh, which Chairman Bernanke was supposed to testify on the Hill. Uh, the hearing had to be rescheduled, and uh, Chairman Bernanke was no longer able to attend uh, because he was traveling to a meeting in Basel, Switzerland, which is where the Bank of International Settlement, Bank for International Settlements, is headquartered. Uh, so, had that hearing not been rescheduled, we wouldn't have heard anything about this meeting uh, with the BIS. Um, and the BIS does fall under the definition of a non-private international financing organization, so any agreements between the Fed and the BIS uh, are also exempt from GAO audits. Uh, you know, given the fact that the Federal Reserve has been given a monopoly, uh, monopoly on monetary policy, 
uh, and has the power essentially to determine the strength and weakness of the dollar, uh, especially in regard to uh, uh, international currencies, etc. Uh, the fact that they're able to enter into agreements with foreign governments and central banks without oversight definitely needs to be remedied. So not only is it committing the American tax people to bailing out Wall Street firms and giving all these loans to the companies that you know, are on that grid of ground, it's committing the American people to dealing with countries overseas, giving them their money, and dealing with these countries in a way that no other branch of government, no other institution of government would be allowed to do. Uh, if the State Department or Defense Department were able to enter into uh, agreements with foreign governments with no accountability or send money and troops to foreign countries with no congressional authorization, we would call these uh, rogue agencies. So essentially the Federal Reserve has been acting for almost 100 years as a rogue agency and it's time that Congress uh, corrects its mistake, uh, exercises responsibility for overseeing the Fed and passes H.R. 1207. Uh, it's really bipartisan. We're actually surprised by the number of Democrats that have jumped on board. Uh, the number keeps shooting up every day, so I'm not exactly sure where it's at right now, but we have support all the way from the most conservative you know, member of Congress to some of the most liberal members of Congress, some of the California legislatures that are out there. And so it's really got a broad consensus. At the time of this report, H.R. 1207 has 143 co-sponsors. It will ultimately need a total of 218 votes to be passed through the House. From Washington, D.C., I'm Kevin Brett. And uh, we know that the Federal Reserve is the, the root of our evils, but what are some of the answers that we have? Uh, I would, before we run out of time, uh, you can uh, check on the Lawful Money blog on my website, liberationstation.weebly.com. Weebly is W-E-E-B-L-Y. Just trying to get my numbers up there, make sure you know how to get to the site. And go to the uh, Lawful Money blog, and uh, some of the solutions that we offer are like community things like community currency, private monetary systems. And uh, we had an interview, you can hear last week's show on that. We did two hours on that. Uh, there are other, um, there's the Monetary Reform Act. Uh, there, there is um, Ron Paul's HR 1207. and and uh, 833 and uh, this uh, Senate bill I, I just mentioned, uh, 604, uh, to audit the Federal Reserve. Uh, so there are, there are answers out there. We just have to work on them and uh, at, a, at a more local level because the federal government is destroying our sense of national unity. So we have to take care of each other uh, and hopefully come back as a nation. Uh, so many uh, states uh, at the 10th, Amen 10th Amendment Foundation, you can find uh, this current status of the various states who are asserting their right to home rule under the 10th Amendment. And... Uh, to continue this article, though, uh, in the time we have left, um, the numbers, uh, if you have a comment, here in Pinellas, 727-441-3000, uh, toll-free, 1-866-826-1340, that's 1-866-TAN-1340, all-tell-free call is star-1340. What do you think about the Federal Reserve actually being... Um, Put their, have their feet put to the fire, and uh, so obviously they're dancing a little bit, hiring a PR firm uh, to try to represent them and put a nice face on on their activities, their scandalous activities, their infamous theft of our wealth for so many years. And um, to continue this article now, uh, H.R. 1207 would put an end to this sort of hide-and-seek nonsense. It would 
quote-unquote, amend Title 31 United States Code to reform the manner in which the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System is audited by the Comptroller General of the United States and the manner in which such audits are reported and for other purposes, end quote. You know they always put, and for other purposes in every bill that they, they proffer. Representative Ron Paul notes that the only that only the Fed can inflate the currency and create new money out of thin air in secrecy without oversight or supervision. Quote, debasing a currency is counterfeiting, end quote. Paul told Congress in February 2008, quote, it steals value from every dollar earned or saved. It robs the people and makes them poorer. It is the enemy of the working person. Inflation is the most vicious and regressive of all forms of taxation. It transfers wealth from the middle class to the privileged rich. H.R. 1207 would cast a laser light on this criminal process, and by opening all Fed operations to a GAO audit, uh, according to this quote, uh, and calling for such an audit to be completed by the end of 2010, the Federal Reserve Transparency <coughs> Act would achieve much-needed transparency of the Federal Reserve, end quote, Paul explained earlier this year. So um, I think I've spelled it out uh, uh, well enough. This, gets in, this article gets into the other various reasons uh, somewhat related to the uh, reason the Federal Reserve uh, controls the, the uh, policy of this country and, and why they need to be um, exposed and the, the reins given back to Congress instead of uh, them just giving, uh, handing the reins over to um, a private cartel. Uh, now let's see if what, uh, whatever else here we have to talk about. Uh, the, uh, we've talked about the Federal Reserve and the PR that they're hiring. And uh, all these articles, again, can be found at liberationstation.weebly.com. Tell your friends about it. If it's something that you enjoy, if the site or the show is something that you find enjoyable and informative, then let your friends know. The number is here in Pinellas, 727-441-3000, is the toll-free line. I'll tell free call is star 1340. And when we come back, we'll have Steve and Tom Buttemeyer talking about dealings with the internal or infernal revenue service. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa, St. Petersburg. WDCF, Dade City, Zephyr Hills, Wesley Chapel. CNN Radio, I'm Pat St. Clair. Big changes underway for smokers in the U.S. The Senate today passing a bill that allows the Food and Drug Administration to control what goes into cigarettes, how they're marketed, and how they're sold. Senator Dick Durbin says it is a new day. Joe Camel will be given a life sentence and put away forever. And we're going to give our kids and our families across America a fighting chance for a better life. The bill is aimed at reducing youth smoking. It is the first global pandemic in 40 years. The World Health Organization says swine flu, or the H1N1 virus, has spread to enough countries to be considered a pandemic. Dr. Ann Shookett with the CDC says over 13,000 cases of the virus have been reported in the U.S. alone. There are over 1,000 people who have been hospitalized that have been reported to us. 
And our last update on the counts of deaths are 27, but we'll be updating that soon, and I do unfortunately expect that number to rise. The virus has spread to 74 countries. Nearly 3 million homes are not ready for the switch from analog to digital television. It takes place Friday. Bernita Smith is leading an effort to make sure people in the Atlanta area won't be left watching static. That's where our focus is, ensuring that the community who has always had free over-the-air television can continue so and, do, and are not forced to have to purchase cable or satellite. DTV assistance centers are anticipating thousands of calls beginning Friday from confused TV viewers. Game four underway in Orlando between the Magic and the Los Angeles Lakers as the top two teams in the NBA battle for basketball supremacy. Lakers superstar Kobe Bryant says he is not taking the Magic for granted. Always got to be on edge and um, be mindful of what your opposition is doing and how well they're playing and what they figured out or not figured out. And the first, the Magic leading the Lakers 37 to 27. The most trusted name in news. This is CNN Radio. We're playing Tampa Bay's original hits, 1340 WTAN. Have you ever listened to a talk radio show and said, I could do that? Well, you're right. You can right here on the Tantalk Radio Network. Your Tantalk program will include a professional engineer to handle every technical aspect of your program. Professional talk and recording studios. Four telephone lines to take live call-ins and conduct live interviews. Even the ability to do live remote broadcasts. Not only will your program be aired locally in Tampa Bay, you'll be streamed live worldwide across the internet in audio and video. When you sign off, you'll receive an audio CD or MP3 copy of your program, which can be duplicated and distributed. In addition, you can archive and podcast this copy of your program on the internet for download and playback. Ready to explore the exciting world of talk radio? Here's the next step. Hey, Tampa Bay, listen up. You can have a one-hour program on the Tantalk Radio Network for less than the cost of one 60-second announcement on many local radio stations. We will put your program on two stations in Tampa Bay, AM 1340 and AM 1350. The cost? Less than a 60-second announcement on many Tampa Bay stations. Get the facts by calling Lola Jean, the broadcast queen, at 727-510-7622. That's 727 area code 510-7622. Call 510-7622 now and reserve your TANTALK network program. Our guest is Shelly Jaffe, the manager of Peter Gillum's Nutrition Center at 533 Cleveland here in downtown Clearwater. Shelly, tell me some of the other things that uh, you have that are, are big movers at the store. What? What's popular at the Peter Gillum Nutrition Center? Well, we have a product called Green Phyto Foods, um, which is an incredibly exceptional uh, superfood is what it's called. And it's a concentrate primarily made of things like spirulina, kelp. Um, it has a tremendous amount of ingredients. Uh, it's great for helping people to metabolize. It's great for helping people to get more energy. Um, and because it's a, it's actually a condensed food product, um, it gets a lot of nutrients. And, and most of those nutrients in there, most of the minerals and vitamins coming from that actually support the, the function of the endocrine system. So it actually has to do with your energy level and your um, your immune system and, and things like that. And that's been one of probably the hottest items that we've, that we've got there right now. Peter Gillum Nutrition Center at 533 Cleveland, Corner Garden in downtown Clearwater. Check it out. 
Fabian Calvo. We have radical, psychopathic leftist Democrats that have hijacked our economy, that have hijacked our free market, that have hijacked our country. You need to wake up to what is happening on the Fabian Calvo Show. We'll be covering exactly what you can do. We are the counter-revolutionaries. We are the ones that are standing up for our constitution and taking this country back to the vision of our founding fathers. Fabian Calvo, weekday afternoons at 3 on Tantalk. Have you ever had the desire to do something adventurous, exciting, fun, delicious, or suspicious, and don't know why or when it hit you? Well, now you'll know. 4413311. Yes, you'll hear it right here on your own local radio station. 1340 AM, you can shout your message to the world. Hear it on its highest note. Get people to come to your business, enjoy your services or goods, and the good news is it's affordable. Call 4413311 for the fun of it. That's 727-441-3311. And, oh, by the way, my name is Lola. Hello, I'm Major Dean Henson, Commanding Officer of the Salvation Army in Upper Pinellas County. And I'm pleased to announce that the Salvation Army in Clearwater is now part of the Talk family at WTAN 1340. Our Sunday evening worship service, 6 o'clock, is aired live each Sunday, and we'd like you to come be a part of our worship service. Great singing and brass band music, a biblical message. We hope that you'll come join us. God bless. Welcome back to Liberation Station. This is Chris Steiner, and I have in the studio with us tonight Steve and Tom Buttermeyer. Pardon me. Hi, Steve. Hi, Tom. How are you? Hello. Good to be here. Good to be here as well. Thanks for joining me, and uh, I'm so glad that you have so much to say and uh, so much uh, history and experience with with the um, instant robbery squad. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, and there's a very fascinating book that uh, you've studied a great deal more than I have uh, that I found out about on a, a show called The Power Hour, which um, oddly enough is three hours, but nevertheless, it's a great show. And it's on the GCNlive.com network, Genesis Communications ne- uh, network, uh, GCNlive.com. That's the same network that uh, you can hear Alex Jones and many others, but uh, The Power Hour is right up there with my favorites. and. Uh, you can um, hear their interviews uh, if you search for the uh, name of the author, Peter Eric Hendrickson, who wrote Cracking the Code, The Fascinating Truth About Taxation in America. And uh, the interviews he gives are fascinating. Uh, and he, he talks on his website, um, losthorizons.com, I believe is that .com or .net? I think com. Dot com. Okay. On losthorizons.com, he keeps track of the uh, of the amount of money that he's got or he's gotten back for other people from the uh, Social Security and FICA and FISA. Is, is that correct? Mm-hmm. And he keeps a track of the dollar amount. And uh, he was the very first person to actually get a refund, uh, albeit the last three or four years um, that he contributed, quote unquote, to FICA, Social Security, FISA. But he was the pioneer in this um, in in this uh, legal strategy. I mean, he spent so long reading the uh, Internal Revenue Code. Um, some people spend time reading their Bible, and some people <laughs> read encyclopedias. I mean, he decided to impress us all and read over 60,000 pages of the <laughs> Internal Revenue Code, Title 26, the U.S. Code. 
Talk about a life. <laughs> Talk about torture. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness. But he saved a lot of us um, some grief and money. Uh, but um, on this on this uh, page 34, I'm going to quote him because um, it it applies to the principles we'll be discussing. Um, this is page 34 of Cracking the Code, The Fascinating Truth About Taxation in America by Peter Eric Hendrickson. He's, he writes, before discussing the characteristics of law, which is the product of a state, it is necessary to briefly comment on sovereigns who are the precursors to the state. A sovereign is a freestanding, independent agent whose right to exist and act are inherent by nature. While much weird and degenerate philosophy has been fabricated over the centuries alleging social contracts, mystical fatherlands, divine right, and the like, ad nauseum, the simple and incontrovertible facts are no human being can assert a claim of authority by right over any other human being. All human agencies are merely subordinate constructs which can claim no authority beyond that of their creators. Furthermore, such agencies can assert nothing for themselves, and assertions made on their behalf can have no demonstrable standing beyond that of the speaker or speakers, who are just other human beings. And no one can claim rights superior in quantity or quality to those of anyone else. So having said that, I, uh, I'd be very interested in hearing uh, all that, uh, hearing even more than you've already told me, but I'll just start out from the beginning on your interactions uh, with the IRS and uh, your story. Okay. Uh, my experience with the IRS is that they're kind of like the left hand of what, we, what we've been talking about for the last hour, which is the right hand with which government takes money away. Well, the IRS is the left hand just as a good pickpocket is ambidextrous. And um, my uh, involvement started with Wesley Snipes, the action hero of, of um, Passenger 57 and Blade series, movies like that, the oh, macho very, hero type. Yeah, very daring. You all remember him. Well, anyway, he was, on, uh, the, he was being grilled uh, in court by the IRS, and the outcome of the trial in January of, of 2008 was that he was uh, supposedly sent to prison uh, for tax evasion. And because of that, uh, the IRS discovered through uh, various channels that I hadn't been a filer in the last 11 years, and so they sent me a, uh, a form. It's called Letter 2566, which says that we have not received a 1040 for you for this particular year, 2004 and 2005, actually, and we are going to propose a tax assessment for you. And when they figure a tax assessment for you, it's much worse than if you figured it yourself. So I was stuck with like $20,000 per year above what they'd already taken in on my withholding. So I, I felt I had no choice but to file for the first time in 11 years. And with uh, help from God and a, few, a couple friends and a CPA that I found out about in Atlanta, I found out how to file a tax return by a non-taxpayer simply by uh, stapling Form 4852 on the back of your 1040, both properly filled out, the 1040 zeroed all the way down the front and the back with zero under everything until you get down to the amount that you've paid in, which is like fifteen to $30,000, whatever your amount is, and then claim it all back because your amount on line 22 is zero 
because you don't owe any income tax because the federal income tax, I'm happy to say, is an excise tax. And unless you're the kind of person that has federal privilege or if you're... Well, what, uh, what is an excise... Uh, act, uh, what, what, would, what would the definition of an excise tax be? An excise tax is a tax on federal privilege. You have need of some kind of federal license, such as an importer or exporter, or perhaps you're being paid by taxpayer money for the job you do. That would be privilege from the federal government. And because of these things, you must file a tax return and you must pay taxes on the profits you made with this income. That's what the income tax is all about. It's about the amount of money that you earned through the excise as profits on your income. The so, income tax has nothing to do with everything that comes in. Right. So the activity itself is the tax that's being, uh, it's being the tax is being levied on the activity, not the fruits of your labor, that on the labor, correct. not the fruits of your labor, yes, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And uh, apparently, uh, let's see here, do we, do we have a call on the line? Okay, we'll take the call. Who's on the line? Pat? Hi, Hi Pat. Hi, how are you? Okay, good. Listen, I have a question. Um, I, I truly believe that the government should not be collecting income tax from us, but I, I always file my taxes every year. But um, it's like I know they're do what they're doing is wrong, but I'm afraid of not giving them what they are demanding because you hear people going to jail. I mean, and so I don't know what to do, you know, other than pay them this tax, this money that I have earned that they really don't deserve. What does a person do in this? I mean, how, yeah. can we, how do we get this changed? Well, you're worried about selective enforcement, I, I would think. Uh, from what I've heard, I, I know that um, Joe Bannister, who's a former IRS agent and uh, fellow talk show host, has, uh, has said that, um, I'm trying to find his, uh, his website here. Was he on America Freedom of Fascism? Yeah, yeah, and his, his website is freedomabovefortune.com. Oh, yeah. uh, he was just recently on with Alex Jones and Jason Burmis, uh, a guest. Uh, luckily, I was able to speak with him. But, you know, he, he said in the show a couple nights ago uh, that it's just selective. And, uh, you know, you can use an argument that's perfectly valid and they'll accept it in one case. In another case, they won't, basically, depending on your uh, – if you're getting too much publicity, then maybe they'll they'll leave you alone. Or if you're getting uh, – it, it's, it's strange. You know, they're, they're an insane well, – well, I heard of a, a couple, um, I think they were either in Connecticut or up that way, and they were uh, very held very, very high jobs and everything else like that, and they did not pay their taxes because they knew that, according to the Constitution, we, we don't have to pay our taxes uh, because it, it wasn't meant for us to pay those taxes. It was on, I think it right. was earned income or something like that, or I'm sorry that I don't have it oh, right. right. But, but they wound up in jail, these people. Yes, that's uh, Ed, Ed and Elaine Brown, and they're being mistreated and shifted all over the place. Right. Um, people are trying to still contact them, and they keep moving them from uh, facility to facility, but... Yeah, like I was saying, it's selective enforcement. There are uh, Tommy. There are two attorneys I know who have had great success, especially in the last two years, uh, two or three years. Uh, Tommy Cryer, C R Y E R, 
and uh, Joe, not Joe Bannister, um, I was just looking it up here. I'll give it to you in a moment. But um, it was, uh, t there are two, uh, let's see, Tommy Cryer and Larry B. Craft. Larry B. Craft, a B-E-C-R-A-F-T is how you spell his last name now. They've, um, they've had a lot of good arguments against the IRS and been successful, but yet um, when Joe Bannister was uh, telling me about a case uh, that a man won on an argument, um, and the IRS is appealing now, uh, and oddly enough, it's an argument that I had used um, in 1996 in offering lawful money, which the clerk of the court, uh, in this, this being a traffic case, but of course it can apply to any interaction with your government, uh, commercial interaction. But um, the clerk of the court discharged my obligation because she wouldn't accept my Silver Eagles, which is def defined on, as lawful money. So the judge ruled in my favor and agreed that the clerk uh, discharged my obligation by her intentional voluntary act of refusing tender. And that comes under the Uniform Commercial Code, and the Coinage Act uh, defines what lawful money is. So I only use two laws. And this is what a um, man named Bob Kerr, uh, Joe Bannister, who's the IRS agent, uh, who, who woke up and uh, was basically forced out of his job because he started asking way too many questions. Um, he was telling me about uh, the case of uh, Las Vegas man, Bob Kerr, spelled K-A-H-R-E. And uh, he won his case against the IRS, but now all of a sudden they just decided to appeal it. What he was doing was paying his employees with lawful money and uh, trying to assert that this is not taxable. It's, these aren't Federal Reserve notes. It's, it has nothing to do with the IRS, and yet the IRS wanted to tax them on that. So it's, a, you know, it, it's really a case of you can look at the Constitution and they won't obey it. They, you can look at it. It's, and see, I'm glad you asked this question because so you many know, people I, ask I the opposite. That I feel that as an average person, I, I don't have any leg to stand on. I can't fight them on on you know just having an average salary, and um, it's very frustrating because you know I'm willing to give if it's due. I'm willing to give, but not under these pretenses. And and they're like a criminal organization. Well, they're not part of our own government. They're a trust that was started in the Philippines, and then um, once the Philippines was no longer a territory, then the trust uh, was located in Puerto Rico. And so it's basically just like the Federal Reserve, a private cartel. But uh, the, the courts have ruled um, that the 16th Amendment doesn't apply. It's just a, a matter of... I think publicity, uh, if you're going to challenge the, the um, IRS uh, in Sullivan versus U.S., I believe that was um, 2006, I, I may be wrong, but just recently, in the last 10 years, Sullivan versus U.S., uh, Judge James C. Fox admitted that the 16th Amendment was not even ratified. Now, there are other cases that say the 16th Amendment... I know, but how do you prevent yourself from going to jail? How do you prevent them from from just railroading you. Well, the simplest thing is to realize that it's an excise tax, and if you don't uh, fall under the scope of that excise tax, then you're not the taxpayer. Hmm. So what we you're yeah. saying, you're explaining how these, these uh, correspondence you've written to the IRS, and using that argument, I've known people in the past who've gotten victory letters where the IRS will write them and say, based on the information you have provided us, we have determined that you are not one who's required to file an income tax return. No response to this letter is necessary. We'll contact you in the future if we need to. And, and well, that's almost there, verbatim. Excuse me. Is there anywhere on the Internet 
that we can go as as taxpaying people and see how we cannot pay our taxes and you know you have to fill out this form you have to fill out that form number two number three you have to do this number four you have to do this number five you have to submit this to the irs is there any outline procedure that is simple enough for the average person to understand and to do to eliminate us from having to pay these taxes that we legally are not due to pay. I think the Federal Reserve is going to take themselves right out of this game with what they're doing because if they, if they monetize too much debt, we're not going to have enough uh, money to even pay the income tax. The stamps are going to cost more than our payments. I'd like to point out, too, that not only is this money you shouldn't pay, but if you do pay it and you didn't have to pay it, you're going to have to live with your conscience because it ends up in the drug trade cartels worldwide, and from there, it goes to the World Bank to be laundered, from what I understand from my, re my sources. And from there, it goes to the Royal Bank of England and into the pocket of the royal family. Well, I totally agree with you. But then on the other hand, if I, as the average Joe, don't pay my taxes, they'll put me in jail. Well, we didn't pay for 11 years, so... <laughs> Yes, yeah, you're paying now, right? No. We no. Had, well, they're, we had they're filing. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and I need to add also the Grace Commission uh, that under Reagan found that none of our money goes, none of the income tax money that you pay goes to the national debt. It uh, it all goes. It oh, all, I personally think it goes into somebody's pocket. I mean, our money is well, being goes, devalued to so quickly. It's it's horrible. And it goes to the interest uh, on the national debt, and it, it doesn't do anything to pay it off. So, um, But, yeah, Lost Horizons, since you asked for a place to go, uh, the, the author of the book that uh, where a lot of this research can be found, Cracking the Code, uh, by Peter Eric Hendrickson, his website is losthorizons.net. Okay. And uh, there's a lot of... Um, a lot of information there now recently they're going after him i should i uh, just found out about that i need to f brush up on that but uh, you know he here he is a successful man at, at getting his money given back to him and they're going after him for teaching others uh, how to do it yeah this is yeah. why we all have to be teachers once we learn this we have to teach because if we get enough teachers we can combat that exactly uh, they can't they can't afford uh, to keep uh, policing that if there's uh, too many of us yeah let me point out this is not the first time the irs has gone after mr hendrickson it's about the fourth time and he's won the first three so oh. wow he knows how to handle himself because he's on the right side of the law but you, you know you don't hear of any of this on television well, that's why they're losing so much market. <laughs> you know, they don't have a monopoly. Today's news, they don't tell you the truth. No, they, they don't, don't tell you these things. They don't help the average person. And that feeds the most people, the average person's opinion that uh, you have something to fear when, when you really don't. You have a lot more ammunition behind you. Then whatever the news tells you, you have to look up the opposite, and you'll usually find it's true. So whether it's uh, current events or the law, I mean, they, they, the way they label tax protests, they, people who question the income tax as unconstitutional, which it is, and uh, I was mentioning the 16th Amendment, uh, supposedly we're talking about how it supposedly gave authority to, to levy the income tax. It but, did not. Right, even uh, Bershaber versus Union Pacific Railroad Company uh, in Cook, 1916 Cook rolled. versus Tate. And yes, yes, that too, there are a few like yeah. that. 
that say that uh, the the 16th Amendment does not give any extra authority to the federal or to the <laughs> Internal Revenue Service to uh, for to the federal government to levy and uh, an income tax. Well, I, I really appreciate with all, what all you gentlemen do and getting information out. And I think it's important the more people that know about this and the processes to go through so that legally uh, you would not be threatened with prison and not, you know, be able to not pay taxes. Um, I, I really appreciate all the information and um, keep. Keep the good job up, gentlemen. We really need truth and justice in, in this, not only this country, but in the world, too. So I, I really appreciate what, what all you do. Oh, Caller yes, One, be, before you go, yes, I want to say a couple things. First of all, uh, there's three, at least three court decisions I know of uh, regarding the 16th Amendment, and they're, they're all served to prove that the income tax is an excise tax. So if there is any doubt before the 16th Amendment, the 16th Amendment erased at all controversy that the income tax is an excise tax. So you can rest on that. And then second of all, uh, when you get that book, Cracking the Code, from LostHorizons.com, there will be a section in there explaining to you how to end your withholding tax uh, anytime you want to. Anytime you have the, the desire and the gumption to do it, you can stop the withholding simply, simply by putting a form statement signed by you in front of the person that makes out your paycheck. And that's all for now. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so very mm -hmm. much, gentlemen. Have a good night. Well, thanks, Pat. Call back okay. again. Have a good night. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'd, like uh, I'd like to mention that the, that the newest form of the code uh, changed the definition a little bit, and they add this word includes mm. to, the, uh, to the definition of income. And they... They write it just as if, just as if there was something else other than what includes is actually saying there is, like mm -hmm. as if in, there was previous tax uh, uh, tax form or uh, I should say it. Uh, the previous uh, code uh, yeah, that the, they're amending. The, like or? the previous codes, they're just amending, but they actually keep the exact same definition from previous codes. They just added the word includes so that the people that are looking at the most uh, recent code do not notice that, uh, do not realize that when it says includes the federal employees, it actually means only federal employees. That's, so they're redefining yeah. English words. Yes, they're, yeah, the, they're, the words in this, in, this, in this code is not English. You have the uh, It just the uses Latin our there. words. There's, there's a Latin inscription there uh, about what that law is. There's a, there's a law that you learn when, in uh, Law School 101. Um, it's this right here, if I can find it real quickly. It sounds like verbicide. <laughs> the yeah. they, they redefine things legally, it, legalese, and then they hang you with it if you don't look up the in the definition section of the of the code or the statute. There's a whole separate sections for what does "is" mean? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We heard <laughs> that yeah. a while back. Yeah, Mr. Bill Clinton wasn't uh, too far off with his defining. He knew yeah. the legal system. He knew that words didn't mean. Yeah, he knew that words did not mean what they. In the, uh, the legal language. Mm -hmm. So he figured that uh, he was treating the American people like a judge, and here we're just American people and trying to understand them. Well, anyway, the Latin that we're supposed to know uh, when you read laws is this inclusio unist est exclusio alterius, which means the inclusion of one is the exclusion of another. 
So whenever in the income tax codes or any other codified law or, or statutes you see the word includes, then anything that follows that is what's included. Everything else is excluded. And it's simple once you know that one fact. So if you say to somebody, um, well, I want you to go down and, and um, pick me up some, uh, some produce, and including some carrots and, and uh, say some uh, oranges and so um, maybe, maybe one or two other things. What am I saying to you? Well, I don't pick up anything except just if, what I tell you if to. If that were a legal statement, you'd be saying that I want just apples and oranges. That's okay, it. so how does that relate to us uh, as um, uh, our status uh, as a, well, or whatever your status is, a taxpayer or a non-taxpayer? Well, when we go to see H.R. Block or one of these uh, accountants uh, and we start asking too many questions, they'll just say, well, listen, uh, look at this law here. It says it includes this person and this person and this person and this person, but it doesn't say it doesn't include you. It includes all these other ones. And when they start talking like that, then you get a little bit uh, leery about asking any more questions and you knuckle under and get the old uh, IRS harness right on because you're afraid uh, you're on bad ground, you know, and you have to pay your income tax. So. There really is no stupid question when dealing with the code or with any legal stuff. You should, you should ask the meaning of every word in a legal document or, or a notice that's given to you. I mean, if they say the word your, uh, they say that your return is frivolous. Ask them what frivolous means. They still haven't answered that for us. They keep telling us look into the into the code online, but it doesn't tell what the meaning of frivolous is. It says what a frivolous, what what a frivolous return can't be or something. It's really it doesn't yeah. define what the actual word is. Have they ever in any of their responses to you yet? Have they ever said that it's a political issue? Whatever, uh, any issue? Good, good. That's mm -hmm. good. They haven't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's one thing that they like to use, uh, saying that uh, if somebody brings up the Sixteenth Amendment, that it's a political issue, and uh, mm. you know, it's not something that the court's willing to address. Apparently, on that level, they can't. But <laughs> that's so strange. Yeah. Well, they uh, they tried to tell me my uh, in the last letter they sent, letter they sent me they tried to tell me that my tax return was a frivolous return. And they said, uh, download this, and I did, and it had all sorts of examples, a dozen or 18 different frivolous return examples, but none of them applied to my case because my return was not frivolous. And uh, every argument they used to prove that it was frivolous was, you might say, by their own standards, frivolous. And you'll didn't amount to anything. You'll notice that all of their, uh, all of their, everything they write in these notices are all for fear mongering because they don't actually state anything they'll say they'll say oh all court cases uh, are have been decided in the favor of the uh, income tax but that's not true or they would have listed one of them they don't they don't list anything because they know they, they can't that's like all your bases is belong to us yes, <laughs> yes. it doesn't carry in translation there but <laughs> just saying the resistance is futile <laughs> it would be as bad as us trying to send them a letter uh, a notice saying we want all the money that's been given to the the, the IRS this year well, where do you have the legal grounds? I don't have to prove that. I just know it. You know, that doesn't make any sense. But for some reason, we all forget to, to, to break out of the fear mode in our minds and actually see what the IRS is doing, which is lying, just blatantly lying to us. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that's, that's not a surprise, but, you know, you can't expect them to really understand the, the law as well as us. Um, of course, Joe Bannister would be a great exception as a former IRS agent. 
Now, did you want to carry on with the excise or uh, other research? Yeah, I'd like to explain a little bit about this excise tax. Uh, in fact, uh, I'd like to list a few court cases that show why a person that doesn't have the federal excise privilege um, doesn't have to pay the federal excise income tax. Um, uh, we already discussed the 16th Amendment, which proves once and for all that the federal income tax is excise. And then it is also classified as an indirect tax. The uh -huh. income tax is an excise type of indirect tax uh, because of Section 1, Article 9, Clause 4, or Article 1, Section 9, uh, Clause 4. I think of the uh, Constitution. It's outlawed. Out, you're saying uh, direct taxes uh, yes. are outlawed. <clears throat> this is the case of White Packing Company versus Robinson, mm -hmm. where the, the decision on the bench was the tax is, of course, an excise tax, as are all taxes on income, but it is not rendered void on that account. So if, if you use the excise, pay the tax. If you don't use the excise, don't pay the tax. So what, what are some examples, by the way, of what a true excise tax, uh, of a validly levied excise tax would be? Uh, when you buy a tire for your car, there's an excise tax of uh, like 5 or $10 on there. That involves some sort of federal involvement in the manufacturer or transport of the tire and uh, you're using that to obtain the tire so you pay the excise tax at the point of sale but not on your income tax. I think this is why Obama wants to nationalize everything in this country right now. And I'm not just saying Obama, because Bush was as well, but I think the purpose is that this is a great way to get out of the, uh, the excise tax argument for the income tax, mm -hmm. is to make everything federal. <clears throat> right, to federalize everything. Yeah. Yes. That's why I'm against the fair tax and all these other proposals, because why replace a tax you don't have to pay with one you do? It doesn't make any sense. Well, apparently, have you come across some... Um, the uh, the idea that they just want to add the the uh, this fair tax on top of the income tax, even though they well, say, I sure hope not. Right. <laughs> well, people like Neil Bortz who are pushing this say that no, it it'll be repealed. But then when he's pressed on it, well, where in the section uh, are uh, you know you write a whole book about it, and and in the section where does it say that mm -hmm. the income tax is going to be repealed? Well. Okay, we'll just get rid of all Title Twenty Six with an eraser. Uh, you know, but there's a lot more than just there's a lot more than just what the IRS has authority to do in Title 26, but most of what they have to do is in Title 26. Well, I just while I remember, um, I've heard people also get victory letters when they send um, on another argument when they mm -hmm. they use the argument that uh, there are no implementing regulations in the Code of Federal Regulations. Have you come across that? No. I need well, to know more about that. Right, right. Uh, uh, that's something I'll have to have somebody come in and talk about. It's essentially. Uh, every law that, that the gov whenever the government has authority to do something, they have to have a protocol that's spelled out in the Code of Federal Regulations, the CFR, not to be confused with the Council on Foreign Relations, but the uh, Code of Federal Regulations tells them how to execute the law and uh, implement the law. But if there's no, there are many Supreme Court cases that say that if there's, if the U.S. code is not backed up by the implementing regulations in the Code of Federal Regulations, then the U.S. code is not valid. So some people I've known have gotten back uh, success letters with that argument, or they've used the, or I don't want to get off too, too far um, afield from the excise tax, but um, others have used the argument like there's no valid uh, OMB number on the, is that an <laughs> argument that um, you've heard about either? Uh, 
Uh, that was one of the frivolous arguments that the IRS sent me. Oh, oh interesting. <laughs> yeah. That was, uh, I think, a Bob Lawrence. Uh, have you heard of him in 2006? He had a, mm -hmm. he, he had a case um, in 2006 where the IRS begged to um, dismiss the charges because he brought up that issue that uh, there are no there's no legitimate OMB number uh, as there is required to be under the Paper Reduction Act. So they were they were asking him to just drop his his uh, you know withdraw his paperwork and we'll yeah. drop the charges and leave you alone. <laughs> That's so. exactly word for word what the IRS was saying was frivolous. Yeah, oh. <laughs> I don't know okay. if it is or not, but yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. Sometimes they'll do that's their first line of defense. Mm -hmm. uh, Sometimes they just maybe. say that. If you if you go on, if I can uh, do another one here, um, mm -hmm. indirect taxes, which include all excises, cannot be laid upon property. This was found in a decision of Flint versus Stone Tracy Company. A tax laid upon the happening of an event as distinguishing as distinguished from its tangible fruits is an indirect tax. And then right after that, there's another case uh, that established that an individual's own labor is his property. This is so um, important to understand for Americans because they, they go, well, we deserve, we should have to pay taxes because we get all this stuff in return, but this is, this is everything we fought for uh, or fought against when we, uh, when we started this revolution to make this country. It's, it's about having the freedom to keep your labor. Labor is your time. And it's your, your time is your it, life. It, time is your life. And there's only, the only difference in the, the terminology we use is, is it past, present, or future? And that's, but it still all belongs to you. It all you. belongs to you. If somebody were to take something you just made, that would be theft. So, you know, we, we seem to find that problem with that, but for some reason, money doesn't fit into the past as well. For, uh, well, when these slave owners think that they own you, that's why they think that your labor doesn't cost you anything because they own you. <laughs> that's essentially yeah, that's how, how I understand argument, their, really. They, they just know that it didn't work the last time. They, they Obviously, because we, we created this country, they didn't like the... Uh, uh, they weren't able to, to keep us as slaves for 100% of our life, so now they're just keeping it for 30 or 40% of our life, or our working life, I yeah. should say. Actually, this uh, court decision here was an old one from 1884. It says, uh, the property, the decision was rendered this way, the property which every man has is his own labor, as it is the original foundation of all other property, Butcher's Union Company versus Crescent City Company. And what year do you have? Uh, 1884. Oh, that's right. You mentioned that. Yeah. I yeah. So, so you're you're saying that even way back then, uh, that that it was understood that um, that your your labor is your property and that they're interchangeable, but uh, the the government um, it was already trying to levy a tax at that time, or what was the uh, what was the uh, argument being uh, made against? 1884. Um, that was at near the start of the income tax, and at the, at the very beginning, during the Civil War when it started, it was understood that it was just for federal employees, but as uh, time went on, it, as the laws, uh, there was a second income tax uh, thing that came out, I think, was it 84 or 94? But anyway, the income tax was restructured about 20 years later. Yeah, it started in 1862 during, during the uh, Civil War, and then in 1894, it was reenacted. Well, somehow during those years between it was enacted the first time, there's people were already starting to get kind of fuzzy ideas about who was paying and who wasn't here and there. So, so even the back then they couldn't understand it. 
I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> but not as much as today. They were better educated back then. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you see their tests that, uh, oh my gosh, you, you'd think that uh, even a high school student these days wouldn't be able to pass a th- uh, test that they gave in this third grade, I remember. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's the question Lord. of how much government does it take to dumb down an American. Right, <laughs> <laughs> successfully. <laughs> or how many oh, teachers my. does it take? <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, uh, uh, we'll try to teach each uh, teach each other here. Um, this is our our passion, and and uh, we're trying to explain uh, how a lot of people. You know, what what would you say to a lot of the people out there? And uh, from those of you, I'd like to hear from you if you have this opinion. You can uh, reach us at four four one three thousand in Pinellas seven two seven four four one three thousand, and toll free number is eight six six eight two six thirteen forty. 866-10-1340. All tell free call is at star 1340. What would you say to an American who asks you, why don't you just pay your fair share? Why don't you just obey the law? Why don't you do what you're told? Uh, why don't you follow the law? I pay for the roads. I pay for everything you need to also. Is there anybody out there who thinks that way? Of course not. But if there is, give, give us a call. We'd like to hear your educated opinion. But what would you say to them before they, uh, somebody like that were to call and maybe you can head them off at the pass? Well, it's not fair. <laughs> First of all, it's well, not the law. So, If I pay it, it's, if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for you. Mm-mm. Well, why, why isn't it fair if everybody else is paying it, assuming everybody well, else is? <laughs> even just the idea that people who make more money have to pay more is not fair. People think that, oh, well, they deserve to because they make so much. But they also work hard. I mean, when you right. meet a lot of rich people, their life is their job. I mean, most of us like a little bit of leisure time. We like to watch television. These people don't do that. These people work, work, and work, and they deserve the fruits of their labor. They don't deserve to be giving us money because we didn't want to spend our time the same way they did. If a person is generating their own income, the more they get is usually because they help more people in a, in a better way than somebody that makes less income, they don't help as many people in, in such an important way. Like, for instance, a dentist uh, helps people in a bigger and maybe more voluminous way than, say, a grocery store clerk. I don't know. Or, you know, uh, you help people in a, in a certain way that you, you have get a, a bigger remuneration. Yeah. You're saying you have a bigger impact on your community? For yeah. yeah, someone who has more knowledge and can use that knowledge to better something uh, um, better more people in his life, you know, say a, a person who's a chiropractor probably deserves more than someone who's a bagger, you know, in public. He's just not going <laughs> to, he's spent a lot of time figuring things out that the average person doesn't want to figure out. And that's the service. The service. But even for the bagger, are you saying that they wouldn't, or uh, they should, they wouldn't, um, under a, a, a fair system, they wouldn't have to work so hard just to support themselves? or Oh, I, I don't think we're the, uh, a bagger is being paid enough, and that's because our, our Federal Reserve System has done a great job of uh, making our dollar worthless over the past 100 years, or 95 or whatever it is. But they've been, they've been messing with it before even uh, they, they got that Federal Reserve uh, Act in place. But I, I feel that obviously the, the, the cost or the the, the demand is going to be way down on that kind of job because everyone can do it. So it's definitely not going to make $50 an hour, but 
obviously it should make some it should i i quit my job doing that because i was like they're not paying me enough oh now we know your beef yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> you would say i, beef. I have a little bit of a beef <laughs> <laughs> oh didn't wixie maybe no, I'm yeah, kidding. yeah, yeah. Kidding. <laughs> it was when dixie yeah <laughs> oh i mean, don't mean to name the, anybody we might want no. them as a sponsor maybe no, i'm kidding <laughs> i'm just kidding we never but uh, <laughs> but i uh, i meant to uh, make the point that even somebody at the low in the lowliest or not low in, in the in the least um, uh, you know I guess the most repetitive type of a job uh, most labor intensive or um, you know well, le- least uh, mental intensive job should be allowed to earn enough to support at least himself if not one other person. If this nation wasn't probably so mind-controlled by television, or not, I think there'd be more people that'd be motivated to do their own things, and there'd be less people sitting around looking for a job. So you have people a lot less looking for this this um, industry job, or I should say service industry job, because there's no real industry now. But in the past, there used to be so much industry that there was not enough workers, and then, as you notice, the women's lib movement fulfilled that that need but as they debase the currency they yeah, need we need more workers we need more workers so yeah, what i'm what i'm getting at though is people wouldn't have as much competition in that field uh if there was more people out there creating their own business rather than working for large corporations people keep on well we can get a little bit cheaper at walmart well walmart's gonna really screw us over in the long run because when they get the when they they're already showing it they're already you know treating employees poorly making making them work for $7 an hour, and you can't afford a lifestyle, any kind of a lifestyle, at $7 an hour. And to think that people in their 30s and 40s who might be having kids are working at a place like this. It's just sad. Yeah, in, in this day and age, I mean, I, I know I mentioned this before in the Renaissance, that somebody could support themselves and a family of three, I mean, a family of four or three other people, by just working three or four months out of the year and then becoming an apprentice, maybe making a little bit of money as a stipend on the end as an apprentice on the side, uh, but um, you know, not full-time employment, because somebody wants to go off and, and learn and become a more creative and well-rounded and um, educated and um, enriched individual, they can do that rather than feeling the press, uh, the hustle and bustle of the nine-to-five, like they need to keep to this schedule just to be able to support themselves and if they do they might be three four paychecks at the most away from uh, losing their home or or uh, not being able to support themselves or their family without say help from a relative friend or even the government and a hamburger helper too (laughs) (laughs) well in this service economy we'll just be making each other's food and and doing each other's laundry kind of like a prison we're not sure where that food's coming from, you know. <laughs> exactly, unless you grow it yourself. Yeah, there, That's scary. there really needs to be a movement called Food is Money where people realize that when there's, when there's no money or currency, the one thing that really does matter is food. And if you have that food, people are going to barter with you. So right now would be a great time to start creating farms, even in your backyards. And uh, I think it's a good business to get into, even helping your neighbors do this, and uh, and to search out some websites that have good seeds, because mm-hmm. there are companies like Mount Monsanto out there that do not really care for us having our seeds. They're really trying to desperately to get rid of all the world's seeds, so they have the seed market controlled. 
and that yeah. means you have to purchase every year your new seeds from them because everything's bad. Yeah, yeah. Rareseeds.com is a good site that I, I go to, but uh, yeah, we'll have to talk about that in a, a future upcoming show. We were dis- discussing having a, a show on uh, advertising the suburbs, and that's another great solution to our economic problems. Is if we can become self-sufficient and keep it uh, keep the economy local and barter locally. I know that um, St. Petersburg just passed an ordinance allowing uh, you to pay just for a meager fee of $50 per year, allow you to have a community farm on your land. So uh, They yeah. didn't even talk to me about this when the uh, codes enforcement came by the other day and I was telling them we were growing stuff. <laughs> He's like, oh, well, I guess my, uh, my kid's really into that and I think we're going to grow as well. So I guess they don't even care. Oh, good for you. So maybe, they, uh, maybe they're seeing what's going on right now. I, I told them, you know, people are going to be hurting soon. And there's already homeless people that don't have food. So imagine when the homeless rate gets a lot higher. Yeah, you know, you come to, they, they come to your farm, they say, well, now I know where to go whenever I'm hungry. And you tell them, well, now I know where to go whenever I need labor. Yeah. <laughs> so it'll I, work out. I was thinking St. Pete would be a nice place to have a, well, I mean, I guess any city for that matter, but put the bums to use. I mean, I say bums, but they're not really bums. They're homeless people that just got messed up in this, uh, this Federal Reserve uh, created economy. Uh, but and allow them allow them to create their own food source. You know, there's 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 land around here that they could grow stuff on. Oh, there's plenty. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's another show I look forward to having you back here, and we'll talk about how to uh, grow, what to grow, uh, seed banks, how to exchange, you know, keep seeds and uh, you know store seeds. We can get into all that. That's another excellent show coming up. But um, let's get back to taxes and uh the the irs uh, yes. you have some other cases on yeah them. could i plug in another case here absolutely uh for those of you listening out there did you know that your income you derive from your own labor is also your own property as well as the labor itself the income from the labor um you're saying that the the income from that uh is like a third um not a third party uh if you anything uh, that you invest your money or your your if you invest your time into something that becomes, say, a, a, a company, it becomes future property. <clears throat> if you hold on to your on to your cash and savings, it just hasn't been turned into something that's worth a lot more. Because, yes. say you want oh. a house, you have a hundred thousand dollar house. You're not going to be able to buy that the first week you start a job. So if you start holding on to all the labor that you've done in the past, and that's the reason why we have a monetary system, so we can do this. We can then barter with somebody with the cash we've saved up from how much labor we've done for that product that somebody else offers that costs a lot more than we normally would uh, be able to offer our services for. Yeah, like if you received income for your labor, whether it be in the form of money or Federal Reserve notes, uh, they aren't allowed to tax that because this Coppage versus Kansas states that included in the right of personal liberty and the right of private property partaking of the nature of each is a right to make contracts for the acquisition of property. Chief among such contracts is that of personal employment by which labor and other services are exchanged for money or other forms of prosperity, or excuse me, other forms of property. So that shows that even if they do want to try to income taxes, they can't because this uh, uh, district court decision prohibits that by law. And what year was that, Coppage? Uh, Coppage, it was 1915. Ah, good timing. Yeah, Yeah. very good timing. Right after the uh, the Sixteenth Amendment and the 
Federal Reserve. And so they immediately wanted to start quest challenging the 13th Amendment within two years. Uh, I mean, that case went already to the Supreme Court. <laughs> and, already, yeah, it was probably that. They trying to slip their hands in the pockets. And so let me see if I understand it right. You're saying that, it, uh, is it saying that we have the right to retain the value of our uh, currency? Is that uh, how it reads? Or I, I really didn't. It doesn't, doesn't really say. It just calls it uh, income. Uh, in other words, if you make a uh, contract with somebody, you can either trade services. You, you do this for me, I do that for you. Or you can say, uh, I don't have anything. I can, um, I'll do this for you, but I'd rather have just uh, some cash in exchange for it so I can do more things with it rather than just trading you. Barter so it's whatever you agree on, yeah. on trading. Whatever your income yeah. is in the form of, we don't have any money anymore, but in the form of, say, Federal Reserve notes or debt currency, you can uh, spend that like it's money, and so that's not taxable either. I remember like, getting grilled <clears throat> over and over at my school. Uh, I did massage school, and they were always telling me, hey, you need to, uh, to uh, pay taxes on that barter. And it's like, uh, no. <laughs> your file fill out these yeah. forms. Yeah, Who's, who should do that? I mean, obviously, if you're not uh, supposed to be paying income tax on your income, you probably should be paying on your barter either. But well, obviously, most people don't understand that. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, gosh, well, if, if I were um, if I were on that massage table, I might say, oh, I'm sorry, I, my hands aren't working. <laughs> Come back in a couple of days. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And if you're performing a service for somebody and you get a tip, that's the worst way to pay income taxes. Never pay income taxes on a tip. Yeah, the, <laughs> I that, mean that's that's something you can keep without saying anything about. I mean, why even? Worry and, about and, it? and and if you're afraid that people, you know, that you might get caught, nobody pays income tax on their tips. I mean, I know tons of people who work yeah, in, the, anyway. in the in the in the in those jobs. The the IRS hates it. They can't get their money from uh, from tips. It's a lot of money changing hands that they're not getting a hold of. And, uh, and there's even, um, uh, I'm trying to find it here, maybe I will if it, while, while you're going over your stuff, but there's an actual IRS yeah. section uh, that says that uh, you have to pay taxes on anything <clears throat> that you sell on the black market. So no, anything, you, know? you know, that's why it's black, you know, it's because it's <laughs> not for them to see. Yeah, it's right. like, it's, oh, that's, that's great. Well, right. You know, it's, all, it's like uh, there's there's no honor among thieves, I guess. <laughs> oh, my. I they ex they expect it on our end, though. I could well, do another quick we were if you need a minute. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, no, take your time. But uh, okay. if anybody in the last few minutes uh, would like to comment on, on what we've been talking about here in the IRS and uh, successes against uh, successful arguments against the IRS, this is not construed as legal advice. This is only for your educational and information. Mm -hmm purposes uh, you should contact uh, perhaps legal advice uh, paralegal maybe you are paralegal paralegal right. seem to be very knowledgeable on this mm -hmm. or perhaps be sweet jurist rather than pro se perhaps I'm not giving any legal advice <laughs> if you'd go at yourself <laughs> you might want to look the definition up you know there's a difference really between representing yourself and speaking as yourself and pro se is you're saying you're representing yourself and when you say that you're you're acting like you're your own attorney 
Oh, gosh, which so you're is, not allowed to mm-hmm. by you know standards. They like to have a lawyer in there to, to battle for oh, you. That absolutely. Way. That and, way they're in charge of your Well, life. that makes you incompetent according yeah. to American Jurist Secundum. And uh, gosh, I should have brought this research in, but yeah, it's, it's an American Jurist Secundum. Yeah, if you accept an attorney, even if it's yourself as an attorney, well, that makes you incompetent and you're a ward of the court because the attorney is... Attorneys aren't even licensed. They're part of a, a pri- they're part of a, a union called the bar. Yeah, <laughs> and that's why they know that their right to practice their their own um, profession without a license is is inviolate. So that's why they their certification goes by the bar. But um, if anyone would like to comment, uh, Pinellas, uh, the number is seven two seven four four one three thousand. Seven two seven four four one three thousand in these waning minutes. Toll free eight six six eight two six thirteen forty, and all tell free call at star thirteen forty. Oh, by the way, that's why all of our attorneys have to pass the bar because it's a sandbar, and it goes out into the water of the uh, British Admiralty law. Since they're practicing water law, they have to they're ask across. the bar to get there. So it's the law of the sea rather than yes. the law of the land. Right, and if you're maritime land, equity could... law as opposed to the constitutional republic right. law. So they're referring to oh. a sandbar out there. You have to go by. We've been watching a little bit too much of Jordan yeah. Maxwell lately. Oh really? He's actually <laughs> yeah. He goes way back. Yeah, um, yeah. it's great listening to him Jordan talking Ma- about judges and all the symbolism in the court. Uh huh. JordanMaxwell.com is his site. Oh yeah, I didn't know that. I just, yeah. I just picked him on YouTube mm. yeah he's, he's, he's gonna come he's out with some. something he says on Alex's show he's yet to do it on uh, the whole symbolism of the new day uh, symbol that Obama uses for his campaign but it's not not a new symbol but it's uh, it's the dawning of a new day to show well get on board we're gonna make the new day dawn and well if you don't then it's gonna be a horrible um, nightmare or, <laughs> or eclipse I don't know, <laughs> you know? isn't that the new symbol that has the three things he's gonna take over on it the clause. Educa- education and manufacturing and uh, health care. Doesn't have all three of those on it? On his, uh, his logo. Is a logo? Yeah, it has, it has three, three, like, uh, plane, uh, three rows on the plane, I think, going over the hill. And then the, the sun coming over the hill, it's all in red, white, and blue. Oh, maybe that's different than the one I was thinking of. Well, he's also used a red star. I don't know if that's the one, but there's so many. <laughs> yeah, he's on the vanity plates during his campaign. He's used the red star on uh, T-shirts and hats and vanity plates and campaign signs, and just scares. That's dangerous. Scary, scary. So, uh, in the last few minutes, in the last two minutes here, we have uh, to talk about uh, the these cases here on the IRS and uh, other cases that back up the arguments uh, behind your paperwork that you sent them. Do you have any? Other, uh, I could title? do a couple more. Sure. Uh, this finishes uh, the logical argument. It's about an eight-step <laughs> argument. The second to the last step of the argument is an excise tax is also a privilege tax. Uh, this is the case of uh, Anderson Airways versus Wallace uh, back in uh, 1932. The term excise tax and privilege tax are synonymous. That was the decision of the judge. And there's a there's another one I could list, but so they're saying that it's a privilege to work and make money. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. It's just like driving. You're not allowed to travel anymore. That's that's a privilege too. <laughs> no, they're saying that the ordinary work is not a privilege. It's just existing. Well, we're, 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 
So we do have a right to make a living and we do have a right to the fruits of our labor and that's that's essentially right. what it's saying is that we still have our rights intact. Of course the IRS doesn't uh, pay much attention sometimes to that unless you have a lot of publicity. But uh, we'll get into this in the future and uh, this has been Liberation Station, liberationstation.weebly.com. I've been your host, Chris Steiner. Take great care. We're the ones who have the shine.